Chapter Seven of A Spinner in the Sun by Myrtle Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Spinner in the Sun by Myrtle Reed. Chapter Seven The Honor of the Spoken Word. Anthony Dexter sat in his library alone, as usual. Under the lamp, Ralph's letters were spread out before him, but he was not reading. Indeed, he knew every line of them by heart, but he could not keep his mind upon the letters. Between his eyes and the written pages there came persistently a veiled figure, clothed shabbily in sombre black. Continually he fancied the horror the veil concealed, continually, out of the past, his cowardice and his shirking arose to confront him. A photograph of his wife, who had died soon after Ralph was born, had been taken from the drawer. A pretty sweet woman, he mused. A good wife and a good mother. He told himself again that he had loved her, that he loved her still. Yet behind his thought was sure knowledge. The woman who had entered the secret fastnesses of his soul, and before whom he had trembled, was the one whom he had seen in the dead garden, frail as a ghost, and again on the road that morning. Dimly, and now for the first time, there came to his perception that recognition of his mate which each man carries in his secret heart when he has found his mate at all. Past the anguish that lay between them like a two-edged sword, and through the mists of the estranging years, Evelina had come back to claim her own. He saw that they were bound together, scarred in body or scarred in soul, crippled, mutilated, or maimed through either or both might be. The one significant fact was not altered. He knew now that his wife, and the mother of his child, had stood outside, as all women but the one must ever stand. Nor did he guess that she had known it from the first, and that heart-hunger had hastened her death. Aside from a very deep-seated gratitude to her for his son, Anthony Dexter cherished no emotion for the sake of his dead wife. She had come and gone across his existence as a butterfly crosses a field, touching lightly here and there, but lingering not at all. Except for Ralph, it was as though she had never been, so little did she now exist for him. Yet Evelina was vital, alive, and out of the horror she had come back. To him? He did not believe that she had come definitely to seek him. He knew her pride too well for that. His mind strove to grasp the reason of her coming, but it eluded him, evaded him at every point. She had not forgotten. If she had, she would not have given back that sinuous necklace of discolored pearls. By the way, what had he done with the necklace? He remembered now. He had thrown it far into the shrubbery, for the pearls were dead, and the love was dead. First from the depths of the sea, and then from the depths of my love. The mocking words, written in faded ink on the yellowed slip of paper, danced impishly across the pages of Ralph's letters. He had a curious fancy that if his love had been deep enough, the pearls would not have turned black. Impatiently, he rose from the table and paced back and forth restlessly across the library. I'm a fool, he growled. A doddering old fool. No, that's not it. I, I've worked too hard. Valiantly, he strove to dispel the phantoms that clustered about him. A light step behind him chimed in with his as he walked, and he feared to look around, not knowing it was but the echo of his own. He went to a desk in the corner of the room, and opened a secret drawer that had not been opened for a long time. He took out a photograph, wrapped in yellowed tissue paper, and went back to the table. 
he unwrapped it his blunt white fingers trembling ever so slightly and sat down a face of surpassing loveliness looked back at him it was evelina at the noon of her girlish beauty her face alight with love anthony dexter looked long at the perfect features the warm sweet tempting mouth the great trusting eyes and the brown hair that waved so softly back from her face the all-pervading and abiding womanliness there was strength as well as beauty tenderness courage charm mate for a man said dexter aloud for such women as evelina the knights of old did battle and men of other centuries fought with their own temptations and weaknesses it was such as she who led men to the heights and pointed them to heights yet farther on insensibly he compared ralph's mother with evelina the two women stood as far apart as a little meaningless song stands from a great symphony one would fire a man with high ambition exalt him with noble striving ah but had she was it evelina's fault that anthony dexter was a coward and a shirk cravenly he began to blame the woman to lay the burden of his own shortcomings at evelina's door yet still the face stirred him there was life in those walled fastnesses of his nature which long ago he had denied self-knowledge at last confronted him and would not be put away and so evelina he said aloud you have come back what do you want what can i do for you the bell rang sharply as if answering his question he started from his chair having heard no approaching footsteps he covered the photograph of evelina with ralph's letters but the sweet face of the boy's mother still looked out at him from its gilt frame the old housekeeper went to the door with the utmost leisure it seemed to him an eternity before the door was opened he stood there waiting summoning his faculties of calmness and his powers of control to meet evelina to have out at last all the shame of the years but it was not evelina the reverend austin thorpe was wiping his feet carefully upon the doormat and asking in deep vibrant tones is the doctor in anthony dexter could have cried out from relief when the white-haired old man came in floundering helplessly among the furniture as a near-sighted person does he greeted him with a cordiality that warmed his heart i am glad said the minister to find you in sometimes i am not so fortunate i came late for that reason i've been busy returned the doctor sit down the minister sank into an easy chair and leaned toward the light i wish i could have a lamp like this in my room he remarked it gives a good light <laughs> you can have this one returned dexter with an hysterical laugh i was not begging said mr thorpe with dignity miss mehitable's lamps are all small some of them give no more light than a candle how far that little candle throws its beams quoted dexter so shines a good deed in a naughty world there was a long interval of silence sometimes thorpe and dr dexter would sit for an entire evening with less than a dozen words spoken on either side yet feeling the comfort of human companionship i was thinking said thorpe finally of the supreme isolation of the human soul you and i sit here talking or not as the mood strikes us and yet what does speech matter you know no more of me than i choose to give you nor i of you no responded dexter that is quite true he did not realize what thorpe had just said but he felt that it was safe to agree one grows morbid in thinking of it pursued thorpe screening his blue eyes from the light with his hand we are like a vast plain of mountain peaks 
some of us have our heads in the clouds always up among the eternal snows thunders boom about us lightning rives us storm and sleet beat upon us there is a rumbling on some distant peak and we know that it rains there too that is all we ever know we are not quite sure when our neighbours are happy or when they are troubled when there is sun and when there is storm the secret forces in the interior of the mountain work on unceasingly the distance hides it all we never get near enough to another peak to see the scars upon its surface to know of the dead timber and the dried streams the marks of avalanches and glacial drift the precipices and pitfalls the barren wastes in blue shimmering distance the peaks are veiled and all seem fair but our own at the word veiled dexter shuddered very pretty <laughs> he said with a forced laugh which sounded flat why don't you put it in a sermon thorpe's face became troubled my sermons do not please he answered with touching simplicity they say there is not enough of hell i'm satisfied commented the doctor in a grating voice i think there's plenty of hell you never come to church remarked the minister not seeing the point oh there's hell enough outside for any reasonable mortal returned dexter he was keyed to a high pitch he felt that at any instant something might snap and leave him inert thorpe sighed his wrinkled old hand strayed out across the papers and turned the face of ralph's mother toward him he studied it closely, not having seen it before. Then he looked up at the doctor, whose face was again like a mask. You're? A lift of the eyebrows finished the question. Dexter nodded, with assumed carelessness. There was another long pause. Sometimes I envy you, said Thorpe, laying the picture down carefully. You have had so much of life and joy. I think it is better for you to have had her and lost her than not to have had her at all he continued, unconsciously paraphrasing. Even in your loneliness you have the comfort of memory and your boy. I have wondered what a son might mean to me now in my old age. Dead though she is, you know she still loves you, that somewhere she is waiting to take your hand in hers. Don't, cried Dexter. The strain was well-nigh insupportable. Forgive me, my friend, returned Thorpe quickly. I— Then he paused as i was saying he went on after a little i have often envied you don't said dexter again as you were also saying distance hides the peak and you do not see the scars thorpe's eyes sought the picture of dexter's wife with an evident tenderness mingled with yearning i often think he sighed that in heaven we may have a chance to pay our debt to woman through woman's agony we come into the world by woman's care we are nourished by woman's wisdom we are taught by woman's love we are sheltered and at the last it is a woman who closes our eyes at every crisis of a man's life a woman is always waiting to help him if she may and i have seen that at any crisis in a woman's life we are apt to draw back and shirk she helps us bear our difficulties she faces hers alone dexter turned uneasily in his chair his face was inscrutable the silent moment cried out for speech for anything to relieve the tension through ralph's letters evelina's eyes seemed to be upon him beseeching him to speak i knew a man 
said Anthony Dexter hoarsely. Who unintentionally contracted quite an unusual debt to a woman. Yes? returned Thorpe inquiringly. He was interested. Uh, he was a friend of mine. The doctor continued with difficulty. Oh, or rather a classmate. I knew him best at college and afterward only slightly. The debt, Thorpe reminded him, after a pause. You were speaking of his debt to a woman. Dexter turned his face away from Thorpe and from the accusing eyes beneath Ralph's letters. She was a very beautiful girl, he went on, carefully choosing his words. And they loved each other as people love but once. My, uh, my friend was much absorbed in chemistry and had a fondness for original experiment. She, the girl, you know, used to study with him. He was teaching her, and she often helped him in the laboratory. Now, they were to be married, continued Dexter. The day before they were to be married, he, he went to her house and invited her to come to the laboratory to see an experiment which he was trying for the first time, and which promised to be unusually interesting. I need not explain the experiment. You, you would not understand. On the way to the laboratory, they were talking, as, as lovers will. She asked him if he loved her because she was herself. Because of all the women in the world, she was the one God meant for him, or if he loved her because he thought her beautiful. He said that he loved her because she was herself, and most of all because she was his. Then she asked timidly, When I am old and all the beauty has gone, you will love me still? It will be the same even when I am no longer lovely? Well, he answered her as any man would, never dreaming how soon he was to be tested. In the laboratory they were quite alone. He began the experiment, explaining as he went, and she watched it as eagerly as he. He turned away for a moment to, to get another chemical. As he leaned over the retort to put it in, he heard it seethe. With all her strength, she pushed him away instantly. There was an explosion which shook the walls of the laboratory. A quantity of deadly gas was released, and in the fumes they both fainted. Oh, when he came to his senses, he learned that she had been terribly burned and had been taken on the train to the hospital. He was the one physician in the place, and it was the only thing to be done. Well, as soon as he could, he went to the hospital. They told him there that her life would be saved, and they hoped for her eyesight, but that she would be permanently and horribly disfigured. All of her features were destroyed, they said. She would be only a pitiful wreck of a woman. Thorpe was silent. His blue eyes were dim with pity. Dexter rose and stood in front of him. Do you understand? He asked, in a voice that was almost unrecognizable. His face was close to the retort when she pushed him away. She saved his life, and, and he went away. He never saw her again. He left her without so much as a word. He went away? asked the minister incredulously. Went away and left her when she had so much to bear? Deserted her when she needed him to help her bear it, and when she had saved him from death, or worse? 
you would not believe it possible queried dexter endeavouring to make his voice even of a cur yes said the minister his voice trembling with indignation but of a man no anthony dexter shrank back within himself he was breathing heavily but his companion did not notice well, it was long ago the doctor continued when he had partially regained his composure he dared not tell thorpe that the man had married in the meantime lest he should guess too much the woman still lives and and my friend lives also he has never felt right about it what should he do the honour of the spoken word still holds him said thorpe evenly as i understand he asked her to marry him and she consented he was never released from his promise did not even ask for it he slunk away like a cur in the sight of god he is bound to her by his own word still he should go to her and either fulfil his promise or ask for release the tardy fulfilment of his promise would be the only atonement he could make the midnight train came in and stopped but neither heard it it would be very difficult thorpe was saying to retain any shred of respect for a man like that it shows your broad charity when you call him friend i myself have not so much grace anthony dexter's breath came painfully he tightened his fingers on the arm of the chair and said nothing it is a peculiar coincidence mused thorpe he was thinking aloud now in the old house just behind miss mehitable's farther up you know a woman has just come to live who seems to have passed through something like that it would be strange would it not if she were the one whom your friend had wronged very answered dexter in a voice the other scarcely heard perhaps in this way we may bring them together again if the woman is here and you can find your friend we may help him to wash the stain of cowardice off his soul sometimes cried thorpe passionately i think there is no sin but shirking i can excuse a liar i can pardon a thief i can pity a murderer but a shirk no his voice broke and his wrinkled old hands trembled M my friend lied anthony dexter wiping the cold sweat from his forehead uh, lives abroad i have no way of finding him it is a pity returned thorpe think of a man meeting his god like that it tempts one to believe in a veritable hell i think there is a veritable hell said dexter with a laugh which was not good to hear i think by this time my friend must believe in it as well i remember that he did not before the uh, it i mean happened far from feeling relief anthony dexter was scourged anew a thousand demons leaped from the silence to mock him the earth rolled beneath his feet the impulse of confession was strong upon him even in the face of thorpe's scorn he wondered why only one church saw the need of the confessional why he could not go even to thorpe and share the burden that oppressed his guilty soul the silence was not to be borne the walls of the room swayed back and forth as though they were of fabric and stirred by all the winds of hell the floor undulated his chair sank dizzily beneath him dexter struggled to his feet clutching convulsively at the table his lips were parched and his tongue clung to the roof of his mouth thorpe he said in a hoarse whisper i the minister raised his hand listen i thought i heard a whistle sounded outside the gate clanged shut a quick light step ran up the walk 
the door opened noisily, and a man rushed in. He seemed to bring into that hopeless place all the freshness of immortal youth. Blinded, Dexter moved forward, his hands outstretched to meet that eager clasp. Father! Father! cried Ralph joyously. I've come home! End of chapter 7